make an impact on your interactive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. Your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. You're connected now with your host. Welcome to AdTech Connect, everyone. This is your host, Susan Bratton, the chair of AdTech. And on today's show, we have three guests who are upcoming speakers for the New York AdTech that's coming in November from the 7th through the 9th. We have Caroline Little, the CEO and publisher of the Washington Post and Newsweek Interactive, Scott Hornstein from Hornstein Associates, an author, lecturer, and consultant, and Pierre Kawan, the founder and principal of People on the Go. We're going to start this morning with Caroline Little, but before we bring her on, I want to point you to an interesting new website that we have. It's called AdTech Connect, just like the name of this radio show, and it's a very interesting way that you can connect with the other people in the industry. You sign on on the AdTech homepage at www.ad-tech.com, and you'll be able to create your own profile and then see your yourself in the middle of a bullseye surrounded by all the other people who attend AdTech and have registered at AdTech Connect, and you'll be able to meet people who have like interests. It's another way we're using the web to generate connection through AdTech. That being said, let's bring Caroline Little on the line this morning. Are you there, Caroline? Hi, Susan. I am here. Good morning. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? Very well. So let's see. You're speaking in November on a session right after the first morning's keynote on Monday morning called A Day in the Life of Online Publishers. And I can imagine what a day in your life is like. You have a lot of web properties to manage. Um, I wonder if you could tell our audience about all of the different properties that are under the WPNI umbrella. Sure, I'd be happy to. We publish um, four different properties. The first one is WashingtonPost.com. Um, next is Newsweek.com. Next is Slate.com. And for the fourth is BudgetTravel.com. Um, WashingtonPost.com has anywhere from 225 to upwards of 250 page views per month. Um, about 82% of our users actually come from outside the Washington area. It's a news and information um, site with a lot of emphasis on um, multimedia. We're one of the top five news sites on the web. Um, our second one is Newsweek.com, which is the online version of the magazine with a lot more content and daily updates, or hourly updates. Um, and we publish that every day. And we also publish Slate.com, which is a magazine that we acquired from Microsoft in January. And that's kind of a news culture opinion magazine. Um, and then we also publish Budget Travel, which is a budget travel magazine online. So, Caroline, how did Budget Travel get into that lineup? Um, budget Travel is um, the magazine, the print magazine is owned by Newsweek, and Budget Travel had been on MSNBC.com, and it's a really attractive audience to us. And we wanted to grow and expand that audience, and they were looking for a new home, and 
it was a good marriage. Got it. And um, I, I, I wonder how you typify your audience. I mean, you, I'm, clearly you have four discrete audiences with your different web properties, but if you had to go in and sell them as a network buy, which I'm sure you do. Well, we how, do, very much. <laughs> who are these people? Give me their personality. Um, their, their profile is affluent, educated, decision maker. We find we have a high um, percentage of influentials, you know, people who influence others in terms of decision-making across the board, purchases, voting, etc. Um, so it's a very attractive audience to our advertisers. Now, you talk about influentials. How do you know that you have influentials? What have you done to figure that out? We did a really large study with Nielsen um, on sort of the whole influentials. Um, we we research people across the web. Um, they have a whole system for kind of assessing if somebody is influential. And it, it doesn't mean necessarily that somebody has a lot of money. It means that they're a person in the community that is involved in community activities. They generally tend to be involved in politics. They influence others. People come to them and say, what do you think I should do about this kind of thing? And we have um, a lot of them on the site. The, the average, I think, in the country is about 1 in 10 and we're at about 7 out of 10. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. I know that originally the word influentials came from uh, political, the political arena. Right. Um, it was, you know, people who are influential in political decision-making. But I think marketers have really glommed on to that concept, and we're using it in so many more ways now. I think yes. I, I hear marketers caring about people who are brand influencers. Um, and so would you say that you have stretched that concept of influentials beyond the bounds of the political decision? process and into... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, decisions, you know, purchasing decisions, absolutely. I mean, you know, clearly we have a very strong hold in the politics arena. WashingtonPost.com right. is the most read publication on the Hill, for example. But I think we really go beyond that um, and, you know, leveraging the other properties as well. Um, you know, that's... Uh, Powerful. One of the things that's really interesting to me is this whole category of influencers on the web. And at AdTech in November, we in the, at the New York show, we're doing something for the first time. Um, I found a gentleman at a company out of San Francisco named Julian Aldridge, and he specializes in getting into the psyche of influentials online. And uh, WebShots has recruited a panel of consumers, everyday people, who believe that they are influentials. And we're going to bring them up on the stage, and Julian is going to interview them to get to the key insights about what makes influentials tick, how do they self-identify. And uh, I think it'll be really interesting, because I think you, you were very smart to do the Nielsen research on your subjects, because I'm sure, you know, you said you're, you're one of the top five news sites, but, you know, you've got a lot of competition, right? Right, right. <laughs> So do you know how, have any of the other news sites in your competitive set measured their access to influentials, or is this something that you've really stood out on? We were the first, and I believe um, the New York Times did a study after we did. Mm-hmm. Good for you. So you're, you're a thought leader in the influential arena. How about that? Right. <laughs> That's my random technology generator <laughs> working overtime. <laughs> so one of the things um, that I read recently in AdAge magazine was that there's a scarcity of inventory in the Internet and that web marketers are coming online in, you know, in force now. Thank goodness it's only taken 10 years. And uh, that there's not enough inventory to satisfy them. Are you finding that across your sites? Or do you think that that's journalistic sensationalism? 
No, I think that is true. I think yeah. with, with the, you know, the fact is, is that the growth on the web is not as fast as the growth of um, advertisers wanting to come onto the web, which is a good thing. The challenge is to, you know, be able to match advertisers with the most desirable inventory for them, and sometimes people want the same stuff. So you've got to figure out ways to reach the audience in a way that doesn't make your site uh, an unpleasant user experience with too much clutter and too much advertising, um, but at the same time satisfy your advertisers' needs. So ad formats are one of the ways you can do that. What are some of the ad formats that you're using that you think satisfy the needs of the marketer without inundating the consumer? Um, well, there are a couple that we've started with. I mean, you know, nearly, no, almost everything is rich media these days. One of the things that we've done recently is what we call a power ad, which is sort of a content pusher um, across the home page, a big ad. But one, you can always close it. Two, it stays there for seven seconds and then it resolves into a big box. It doesn't simply go away, but you know you can still look into look at it and click on if you're interested as a user. And it's a very powerful um, ad unit. Our advertisers like it a lot. So it doesn't take up, you know, that much inventory, you know, after it resolves into the big box. Um, we also have what we call a billboard, which is sort of on the bottom of the page so that you can close it, but you, it doesn't interrupt your experience from a user standpoint. Those are some unique things that we've done. We've also done... Um, some podcasting. We've done some ads in RSS um, fairly recently. We were the first to do that. Um, and we're, we're also doing, as other sites are doing, some video ads um, sort of as an introduction to video. So on the, the page takeovers, on the large format ads, are you doing frequency capping so your customers only see one or two of them a day? Or Ab is it every time they visit the site? Absolutely. And we always, to the extent that there's any video, uh, any audio, it's always um, user-initiated. Got it. Yeah, right. People in office environments need to be, you need to be sensitive to that. Yes. Now, the ads in RSS, are these your own RSS feeds and then you're doing cross-promotion in your own content? Or tell, tell me about your RSS campaign. Oh, well, our RSS, we have an RSS feed on our site that's available. And then what we did is we inserted an ad in the feed. For a, for a marketer, for one for of your clients. For a marketer. Yourself. And who was that? Do you remember? It, it was um, the Tucker Carlson show on MSNBC. Oh, great. Okay, good. Yeah. And how, how is that being measured? Is there any measurement for that yet, or is it just we, we ser this many people have the RSS feed and this is how many times it was op it's like kind of an open rate? Um, we don't have a measurement, you know, at this time. I mean, it's such a new, um, it's such a new ad unit. Yeah. Um, I can tell you we got a lot of buzz about it, mm -hmm. but, you know, Again, you're reaching a very sophisticated audience because, you know, not everybody on the web is accessing RSS feeds. Yeah. But you're, but you're accessing a very, you know, web-centric, tech-savvy um, uh, user. I stole this word from somebody, and I wish I could attribute, attribute it to them, and I can't remember, but somebody used the word tech novelty. 
And I, I am a huge proponent of technology and marketing. You know, I, I just think that the first people out to do any new ad format, and, you know, it, obviously it has to make sense. Some of them have been bad news and people have stayed away. But um, the idea of ads in RSS as a technology factor for getting PR is always great. I think the uplift on the PR often is much more than, <laughs> you know, any impression count you right, can get from right, it, right? Right, right. <laughs> Isn't that a great word, technology? Yeah, I like that. I do, too. <laughs> and now the video ads, what do you think about those? Do you think there's a big opportunity? It seems like they're, you know, they're clearly getting some traction in the market. I've heard there's inventory scarcity for video ads. What's your impression of how that's going? I think there is now. I think that as broadband continues to grow, people are going to start looking at a lot more video. And I think as as producers of video on both, you know, the editorial front and the commercial front, tailor their video to a web experience, i.e. make them shorter, um, that it's just going to increase a user's use of video. And, you know, we're seeing all over the place new announcements of new devices with potentially new video. Um, And so I think it's just going to continue to grow. But at this time, it's not a huge, um, you know, inventory uh, availability. Got it. And and I think also the thing that's interesting about video is that it opens up the possibility for local advertisers who may have been using television as a way to reach the local audience. Oh, that's an interesting angle for you, certainly. Because you, you, although you're national in scope, I'm sure you have a lot of regional allegiance. Oh, we have huge regional allegiance, and this, you know, the Washington uh, marketplace is extremely important to us. And um, you know, the paper has a footprint in Washington and not outside. So, you know, we 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 feel that we we need and want to play a very important role in our community. So, the day in the life of the publisher, what? What are some of the biggest issues you're wrestling with these days from an online marketing perspective? Let's see. I think that we're still very new in, you know, in the history of our business. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to look at different segments of the, the, of the marketing audience in different ways. Some are very adept at using online as a way to reach their um, customers um, some haven't figured out the right role of the Internet in, in, in conjunction with other media. And I think that as an industry, we're still struggling with, you know, explaining ad effectiveness, explaining why this is valuable. And so I think that's a challenge for us. Um, I think local advertisers um, have not moved to the web as, swiftly as some of the larger national advertisers in particular categories like um, technology, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a challenge for us. Um, I think that the constant innovation um, that is necessary both on the editorial, on the sort of editorial slash content side and on the advertising side is extremely important. And what is so, the innovation on the editorial side? Well, I mean, we, you know, sort of had a vision for 2005 as a year that we needed to launch blogs. We needed to be essentially making WashingtonPost.com a much more interactive site than I thought that it was, frankly. Got it. And, you know, we have a wealth of, you know, incredible journalists at the newspaper who are willing to participate. 
we have audiences who want to be having a conversation with our site, essentially, not sort of a one-way lecture. And so how do you leverage that and maintain, you know, your your brand and focus as a top news site? And, you know, we've launched since January probably 15 blogs. We have an inline video player so that you can play video just right off the page that your, you know, the box is on. Um, we launched Technorati, which is a um, a site that basically calls comments from blogs and attaches it to various articles. So if we have an article about Iraq, there'll be a box next to it linking to a bunch of blogs that are talking about that particular article. We're going to have comments on our articles so our users can comment on them more. We launched an opinion section recently, which has gotten a lot of traction, and we want to push the envelope, um, and that, in turn, you know, I think not only makes us a, a better site, better for our users, um, but I think advertisers are more interested in it, too. Absolutely. When there's an interaction with consumers, it's, it's vital. Absolutely. And that's where marketers want to be. They want to be where the consumers are, in, are interacting and engaging, Right. 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 Yeah. As a matter of fact, the theme of ad tech for the year is the age of engagement. Um, all about the fact that we are not in control, <laughs> whether it's editorial or marketing. We're not in control. The consumer is in control, and they want access to us and right. our brands right. 24-7. That's, that's absolutely right, and you got to go with it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you really have. I'm impressed with the lineup of editorial tech novelty that you're using. <laughs> yeah, no, we're really excited about it. I'm, and we've also done a bunch of podcasts, all sorts of stuff. Well, I have only a minute or so left to talk to you, and I'm I'm in, impressed with Caroline, the person. You and I met probably a year and a half ago. We were right. on a panel together at a show, and um, you you're a lawyer turned publisher uh, with a terrific pedigree, and you're also doing some board work in the philanthropic category. And I'd love to just hear a little bit about that. Um, well, I'm, I'm very interested in education, and I've served on the Grinnell College Board for about eight years, something very important to me. And um, in that capacity, I've gotten really um, interested in diversity and ensuring, you know, that education is available to those who may not have it freely available. And I've gotten involved in a great organization in Washington called the Posse Foundation, which basically matches kids, not based on race or um, uh, economic need, but kids in in larger cities with um, top-rated schools who are interested in including um, kids from more diverse backgrounds. And um, so it's sort of a partnership. And these kids are selected, and then they are offered a... Um, four-year full scholarship at the schools. The key to the, the key to the program, though, is that it is a um, the idea is that these kids go to these schools in a posse. So you take ten kids from Washington and you put them at at the same school. Um, as so they get the mutual system. support. Yes, uh-huh. they, the Peer Posse support. Foundation has a ninety-two percent graduation rate at wow. top colleges, and it's. You know, so I feel very passionate about it. It's community. It's something that I think is really important, you know, for the future of our country. And, you know, I've gotten involved in some things that I just feel very passionate about. 
Well, you are one impressive person, and we are, I think, very lucky in the universe to have you in a position of leadership and focused on things like diversity, because that's what will make a difference. And so I applaud you for that. I applaud you you for being proactive around the issue of diversity. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you at AdTech in November. I'm sure that everyone will be in, uh, it will enjoy hearing you in the day, in the life of online publishers. And I thank you for coming on the show, and we'd love to have you back sometime. It was a great conversation. Thanks, Susan. You take care. Thanks, Caroline. We're going to go to commercial break now, and we'll see you in a minute. 60-day free advertising trial on the best of the web directory. That's BOTW.org, the Internet's oldest directory since 1994. We know what you want, and we've got what you need. And hey, if you can get some free online advertising in this world with no strings attached, feel us up. I, I mean, feel free to take advantage of this extraordinary offer and start your no-risk 60-day free online advertising trial today. Best of the web. BOTW.org. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R. More than a name. Contrary to what your mother told you, you cannot be all things to all people. You can, however, focus on your primary business and ensure your success by outsourcing technical projects to a company who is forward-thinking, solutions-oriented, and works as a complete extension of your organization. No need to do it over and over again. SRK Consulting can develop integrated automation programs, programming in most major languages and operating systems. SRKConsulting.com Making sure your mother is always proud. Now back to You're connected now with your host. Welcome to AdTech Connect. This is your host, Susan Bratton. I'm the chair of the global series of AdTech conferences. And uh, today, we are interviewing Scott Hornstein, the author, lecturer, and consultant of Hornstein Associates. Are you on with me, Scott? I certainly am, Susan. I'm delighted to be here today. Good morning. It's fantastic to have you. Now, this is your first AdTech, Scott. We, I, I don't know how we discovered you. I think you submitted a proposal that was fantastic. Um, you well, are you. on a session called Creating a Bomb-Proof Brand Identity, and that's Tuesday at 10.30 at the New York Show. And really, the idea of that session is to um, help marketers protect their brand online. And I know that that's, it's not just brand fraud and things like that, but also about how to keep your brand bomb-proof or solid when you're marketing yourself on the Internet. And I know that's an important part of your, uh, your business in yeah. Hornstein Associates. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about uh, your business and some of your clients so the audience gets a better sense of your background. Susan, my business is um, I'm a, a consulting business, and what we are doing is helping uh, marketers to take a longer view. Um, right now, we have been creating a series of drive-by relationships with customers focused solely on the uh, sales today, when really the, um, uh, the big money is increasing customer satisfaction, the retention and the lifetime value. 
We use tools such as opt-in marketing, the consensual process, um, different kinds of research to put marketing back on the right track. Now, Scott, you've worked with Microsoft and IBM and HP and Starwood and Merrill Lynch and Franklin Covey. The list is so impressive. What are some of the examples of projects you've done with these companies to take that long view? Many times these projects take the form of the introduction of a new concept, of a new product. Uh, For instance, with Microsoft, it is the introduction of a process to get closer to the small and medium-sized business market, which is uh, has been ignored for so long. What well, it's been valuable. hard to address, I think, right? I'm sorry? Hard to address. The small and medium, the SMB market has just been an elusive market to segment and address, hasn't it? Absolutely. It is a moving target. And the key here and the key in all of this is what does the customer find of value? How can we go on and beyond the basic service to make them happier, stay longer, and buy more. I like your idea. I like your, your phrase, the, you know, the drive-by marketer. And, and so what is an example of something that you've been able to do to have that continued relationship? Well, I'll, I'll give you a, um, uh, for instance, um, a, um, marketing, a, a manufacturing company on the West Coast, a small manufacturer. They make uh, printed circuit boards. At one time, that was a great technological advance, and now there's a lot of people who do it. Highly competitive market. Oh, yeah. And they woke up one day, and there's new competitors in the marketplace, and they're starting a price war. Well, as you know, nobody wins in a price war. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? Well, they went and they talked to their best customers, identified their best customers. What do those people want, and what do those people value? And what they found out is that without the quality, without the turnaround, without the thinking behind it, that the price was meaningless to these people. So this is one way of helping people to get in touch with who are their best customers, what do they want, and how do they want to be spoken to. You have uh, a list of questions to ask your customer. Can you share some of those with us? Absolutely. Um, One of the most important questions uh, to ask your customers is, how do they see your company? What are the values or attributes that they attach to your your company, your product, your service? We call it a benefit hierarchy, and, and it's like we were talking before with that PCB manufacturer. What's first? Is it price? Are we going to compete as a commodity? Or is it quality? Is it, is it the thinking? Is it the engineering? Um, a, a quick story is uh, HP, when they merged with Compact, um, talked to their customers uh, to uh, uh, sort of run their new ad campaign up the uh, flagpole. And what the customers came back and said is, hey, I know you're trying to show us how strong this, this, new, uh, uh, this new company is, but stay away from competitor bashing. We value the old HP uh, uh, the old HP benefits of the engineering of mm-hmm. the people. This is what's important to us. Is this boring to you? So benefit hierarchy is one of the questions to ask your customer. What are some of the other ones? I would uh, definitely ask them the same question, but how do they see your competition? Mm-hmm. What, what are the values that they see with your competition to help you to form your brand and 
And, and burnisher brand, and I define brand as compelling competitive differentiation. I would also ask them, uh, how do you want to be communicated with? How do you learn? Because it's unlikely that we learn from any one particular source. We learn from a variety of different sources. Mm-hmm. What do they trust, and how do they learn about new concepts? This, in turn, drives much of the messaging and, and a lot of your media mix. Any other good questions we should put on our list? <laughs> I'm getting all, all the real answers out of you for free, aren't I? Well, uh, absolutely, and that is just fine. I'm delighted to be here today. I would ask them uh, their trusted sources of information, and, in fact, what do they expect from some of them? We all know that the, the website is, is just critical to our very existence here. Yeah. What do they want on your website? How do they want to interact with you? Um, what sort of information? Um, IBM did this, and they found they were talking to their, um, their best customers, uh, senior software decision makers, and they found that, that these people wanted a community. They wanted uh, IBM to open up the kimono and tell them a bit more about What's coming up? What's, what's in development? And to solicit their opinions about some of these developmental projects. Um, this resulted in a very, very powerful uh, website, again, for these best customers only. Uh, we actually have Pauline Ores from IBM.com as a speaker in New York talking about uh, community building. <laughs> so uh, they definitely have set a trend with many different kinds of things, including blogs and RSS and community building. They, they do a good job walking the walk in technology for sure. Well, I have, I have enormous respect for the IBM Corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, they are uh, fearless marketers. So these questions, how, how do you see our company, how do you see our competition, how do you want us to communicate with you, how do you ask your customers these questions? Is this focus groups? Is this online surveys? How, how do you gather this in an authentic way from your customers? Well, I think that, that um, uh, focus groups and online, particularly online surveys um, are very, very important. But for this kind of qualitative information, I prefer to do this on a one-to-one basis, and um, um, it can be through the, uh, through the Internet. It can be through um, a phone conversation. In fact, at times a phone conversation is preferable because you get the ability in real time to probe an issue, to say, well, what did you really mean by that? Uh, we work from a prepared um, interview guide, uh, perhaps 12 to 15 questions, that, that ask these things, such as, uh, how do you feel about this positioning statement? Does this positioning statement, um, is it competitively differentiating, and is it compelling? Uh, two different questions, but you really need both of those elements. So you are a busy man. I'm going to switch gears on you a little bit. You've authored a number of books. Would you share the, the list, the laundry list with our listeners? And then I'd love to talk about your latest book, so maybe you could end with that one. Well, certainly. Um, there's, there's two I'd like to, uh, uh, to focus on. One is integrated direct marketing. And that theory is, is, as I was talking before, people learn from a variety of different uh, uh, sources through a variety of different media. 
what's the role of each media medium? How should they be com- combined? How should the message be synchronized and integrated over this, um, over time, to produce the best result? I mean, one of the underlying thoughts there, and one of the drivers for me, is that um, well, when the DMA does their annual survey of response rates, uh, perhaps it, uh, it used to be a 2% response rate, and now it's a 0.2 response rate. Well, geez, that means that, that 99% of the audience threw us away. Yeah. That's terrible. Uh, we're lucky that we can make a living like this. Yeah. But that does not sound like a long-term uh, business proposition to me. So from there, went to consensual marketing. And consensual marketing, or opt-in marketing, which is uh, the, uh, uh, the book that just came out, talks about engaging your customers in a real dialogue where the objective is not, hey, how much money do you have in your pocket? Are you low-hanging fruit? But talks uh, about how do they define value. It's a learning process. Both sides listen and learn. And that is, is really where I think that the next innovations in marketing is going to come, is how do we change this marketing paradigm from that dot 2% to move into double-digit response, to move to where, as I said earlier, we're making our customers happier, and we have the metrics to understand that happiness equates to this kind of money, this kind of retention, this kind of profitability over time, because I think we all want to be here over time. So this may be an heretical statement, but one of the things I've struggled with in marketing to my customers, especially in the consumer world, but I don't think it's, uh, it's solely there, there's a lot of darn consumers in the market, and they all want to have an interaction with your brand. How many people do you need on your marketing team now that everybody wants to be a unique individual and have a conversation with you? This can't scale. What do we do about it? You know, there's the old saying, this would be a wonderful business if it wasn't for all those annoying customers. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think that we have to very basically segment our database. The job of the database is to drive the most efficient allocation of our resources. Put your money where where your high-end customers are. Talk to them. Exactly. Now, for everybody, there's some basic responsiveness. That, that that's just the way we need to do business. If somebody asks us a question, we owe them an answer. Yeah. But for the big investment, we do that with our best customers because that's where we get the biggest return. That's sage advice. Now, I, I've got three minutes left, and I, I wish I had 30 because I have a bunch more questions for you. So let me ask you a couple of quick things. We'll do a back and forth if we can. Yeah. What is the Hornstein method? Does it have anything to do with being consensual? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, consensual is one of the tools. What the Hornstein method is, is, is following uh, the introduction of consensual marketing and, and, and the case histories, wanted to come up with a way for companies to say, how can I start to do the basic changes necessary to get myself into this longer-term business where I'm not only measuring short-term sales, but customer satisfaction, retention, and lifetime value. This okay. is a process. 
So it's a process, a process we can overlay into our organization. Yes. Is this something that's available in a white paper, or do we need to hire you to, to learn the Hornstein method? Oh, no, no, no. Um, these principles, um, certainly they're on my website. Um, uh, What's your I, URL? Uh, www.hornsteinassociates.com, something right. that is very esoteric. Good. And um, it's there for all the world to see, and I'm constantly publishing uh, different aspects of this. Uh, I don't think that any of these proprietary things that you come up with, these ideas, that you got to hire me to have them. Uh, people like me, uh, uh, we help you get to the end a little bit faster. Got it. Well, let me ask you one more thing. We talked earlier in preparation for our, our uh, conversation today about email marketing, your prognosis for that. What's, do you think RSS is going to replace that? Is that something marketers should be looking at? Give us your opinion on that as the last thing we discussed today. I think they're two different things. I think email is probably the most powerful retention tool that was ever invented. It just boggles my, my mind. Um, RSS, to me, is more of a prospecting tool. It, it falls to me under the, um, uh, under the heading of PR, and PR has really replaced um, uh, advertising and its power to get to the, uh, uh, a message of value to the customer, to get a message of value into word-of-mouth advertising, and, of course, there's, there's nothing more powerful than that. Now, I certainly can go on for hours and days, but I want to be very respectful of your time. That's fantastic. Well, I really, that's a nice change because everybody else just likes to talk and talk. But um, if folks want to see you and learn more from you, they can come to your session Tuesday, 1030, November 8th, Creating a Bomb-Proof Brand Identity. And I'm sure you'll be happy to engage with them there. Is that right? That, and I will also be present at the book signing the day before. Oh, right, at AdTech Connect Live. You are signing your book on Monday uh, during our lunch break in the Grand Ballroom and for the session after that. Uh, and I thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> well, it's been awesome to have you on the show today, Scott. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you at AdTech New York. I look forward to it. All right, we're going to commercial break now. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links baby textlinkads.com the innovative services of load.com help you easily maximize your business and bottom line since 1999 load.com has offered premium web applications and business solutions for companies worldwide set up business and private mailboxes track marketing and website traffic and assure a professional design for your website with loads email web stats and dns services save time save money load is your reliable source for professional web applications and business solutions visit load.com that's 
LOAD.com and get loaded today. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Studies show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust. And nothing creates more trust and loyalty than well-written, informative content. High-quality content also generates free search engine traffic. Content is definitely king. Visit InfoSearchMedia.com today. Now back to You're connected now with your host. Welcome back to AdTech Connect. I'm Susan Bratton, your host and the chair of the global series of conferences called AdTech. Uh, we're at www.ad-tech.com. We hope we'll see you at our November 7th through 9th show in New York or come on out to Asia. We'll be in Shanghai this year, November 15th through 17th. Our uh, speaker today are, is Pierre Cowand, and he is the founder and principal of People on the Go. And I actually discovered Pierre because I was traveling through Australia earlier this year, and I read this little article in a local, local newspaper that said, people are spending so much time doing email these days that they're not getting any work done, and email isn't work. And I thought, boy, is that true? I spend all my time managing my inbox, and it's a major source of stress for me. When I got back to the States, I thought, boy, I wonder if anybody has a company where they help people learn how to manage their inboxes. And I found, of course, that Pierre had already thought of this with people on the go. So let's say hello to Pierre. Are you there this morning? Uh, I'm here. Hi, Susan. Hi, Pierre. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice in San Francisco today. Good. No no fog. I know. It's not the summer. (laughs) Well, let's see. Now, Pierre, you have founded a number of companies, and how long ago did you start People on the Go? About four years ago, Susan, and it actually came from my realization on how much time and energy is spent on email, and that this, the cost of this for the business and for the individual is huge. Now, really, you're, you're more than email. I don't want people to get the wrong idea that you only help people do their email better. You're really about managing communication. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. I think the, the big umbrella word we use, it's about productivity. Right. It, it's basically helping uh, busy professionals reclaim a good chunk of the time they spend on email, on office applications, on their Blackberries and Trios, and use this time more effectively focusing on their core activities. So you call email the silent killer. Yes, yes. <laughs> I like that. So it's silently killing me, Pierre, but with you, I've been able to uh, get some respite. Now, you have a couple things that you do. You have online training, uh-huh. and you have web-based self-paced classes, and then you have what I like, the indulgent thing, which is virtual live workshops where you kind of do everything for me. Can you tell me about, I mean, people kind of get the web-based self-paced classes, but explain to the audience about the virtual live workshops because I really enjoy these. Right. Well, the virtual live workshop is is really a treat because sitting on um, your computer, you are actually being able to see the instructor's computer and, and hear their instructions and most importantly interact and ask questions. And actually, we also have the capabilities of allowing the instructor, um, allowing users to basically take control and do an exercise 
and vice versa. So we could take control of the user's computer and show them uh, something. With something we did, uh, Susan, where I took control of your computer and walked you through some things that otherwise would be very difficult to explain if you didn't have your own data and your own computer. Right. I saw you take over my computer. I had Outlook open in the application, and you clicked all the different menu thingamabobs, and you organized some, I think they were um, uh, some filters, potentially, uh, that you installed for me based on what my needs were. You actually set my computer up the way I needed it to be set up remotely. Exactly. And that's the, that's the process that would happen once. Once you have those views and those processes in place, then you basically have a workflow and then you follow the workflow and you don't need to do these, these processes again. So at AdTech, we're, we have launched something for the New York show for the first time, and these are workshops. We have a whole new series of workshops that are much more hands-on. And thanks to you, Pierre, you were the one that helped me come up with the idea to do it. And then I found oh, a bunch of other wonderful people who are doing all kinds of things, everything from figuring out how to price your products to a hands-on workshop for performance marketing. But really, the workshop that you're conducting is, is something that's not necessarily for your business or for marketing. It's for you personally. It's for yourself as a professional. And we, we have called it Managing the, the Deluge, Effective Email Inbox Organization. And because there's Wi-Fi at the show, we're encouraging people to come to your session and bring their laptop, and you're going to walk them through how to organize their inbox, right? Exactly. So this, this session that we will cover at AdTech, is it basically covers the same exact principles that we teach in the managing and organizing your email inbox workshop. You know, I, I also call it, and I think you'll like that, Susan, I call it strategic thinking 501. It's what business schools don't teach you about email. Right. Um, so we're going to cover workflow. We're going to talk about time management. We're going to go through step-by-step step on how to make this happen. So it's a methodology. It's, it's not about file open and the laundry of features, it's more of a methodology. And the things that you taught me were how to use flagging, mm-hmm. um, how, to, how to actively use foldering and uh, create a file system that helps me keep, my, keep myself organized. Mm-hmm. Um, you showed me how to use filters. Right. And then you talked to me about how to, how to manage your email every day so you're not constantly looking at it, but instead you're setting aside blocks of time to deal with it. That's and are you going to walk the audience through that, all of that at AdTech as well? That's, that's correct. So we're going to walk through that same um, flow that you mentioned. We're going to talk about flagging and tracking unfinished messages, which is the biggest challenge that, that we find with users. It's all these emails that are kind of falling through the cracks, and then also this behavior of scanning the inbox all day long, up and down, trying to find, making sure we're not missing any messages, and we're going to change that. I mean, basically, the, the purpose is to change email from being an ad hoc activity that's taking over our day into becoming a more structured activity that we control. And and we're going to step through these in that session. So 
I've been telling everybody about this session, and I was really worried that the room wouldn't hold all these people because I've been blabbing to every single person I talk to that's coming to ad tech that they have uh-huh. to go to your session. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm really worried, Pierre. I think we're, we're going to hurt you. <laughs> but what we did was, uh, because I'm such a blabbermouth about it, I set you up for two sessions. So you're Tuesday at 11.45 and uh-huh. Wednesday at 11.15, so people can take their pick and Great. come in and let you organize their lives. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to the sessions, yeah. Now, one of the things we should also do is make sure people know your URL because it's a little bit tricky. Do you want to tell everybody how to find you before or after the show? Sure, sure. Uh, the the URL is www.people-onthego.com. So it's a dash, a hyphen. People-onthego, okay. just like O-N-T-H-E-G-O.com. Perfect. And I want to stay with email, and then I want to move to kind of the whole ver- the whole real-world desktop management that help that you do, too. But the email personality test and the 360-degree feedback, uh-huh. you have some online assessments. Tell our audience about that, because I took the personality uh, test, and I, I really enjoyed that. Okay. Well, we identified about 40 behaviors, actually email behaviors, that can help or hinder someone's productivity and their ability to communicate effectively on email. And we put these into a self-assessment, and we designed a scoring engine that reports back to the user not only their email personality type, and we've designed five different areas where the type is measured, but also recommendations on how they can improve. Um, It's really a great awareness exercise. And then the 360 degree is where... Um, instead of just me ranking myself in the self-assessment, I ask for feedback from others that I email with, and then they give me anonymous feedback, and it gets compiled and sent to me and then compared with what I thought uh, about my behaviors and my self-assessment. So it gives a really great um, feedback on whether I am, I am kind of lost thinking I do really well on email, but others may not agree with this. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid to take it. <laughs> now, on the email personality test, you, you said there were five types of personality. Can you, can you remember what they all are? Because that's kind of uh, Sure. We, we, right. we, the five areas we measure are email reading, and someone can be a light reader or an in-depth reader. Okay. And then email processing, and someone can be a laissez-faire processor or a scheduled processor. Oh, what was the first one? Or what kind? Uh, laissez-faire, which means... Oh, laissez-faire. Got it. Yeah, okay. And then email responding, and someone can be a delayed responder or an immediate responder. And email composing, and that someone can be a sparse composer or a detailed composer. And then finally, email organizing, and someone can be structured or freeform. And, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages for each, and uh, the idea is to be, the the final ultimate goal is to be strategic, to be be what we want to be depending on the situation instead of having a default behavior all the time. That makes sense, right. There's time for a lot of detail, and there's time to just say yes or no. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. So now, one of the other things that you offer is the ability to mirror your computer desktop and your physical environment to be the model of efficiency, which, of course, you've turned me into. (laughs) But I'm getting You should see my desk now, Pierre. I am really following the principles of what you've taught me, and it's looking pretty good. That's great. I I see a a case study coming, Susan. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so tell the audience about yeah. what this thing is, this miracle that you perform okay. on them to get okay. them organized. Sure. Well, this is part of one of our workshops, which is called Total Organization, and it's really meant to help us in this ocean of information that we, we try to stay afloat in every day. And the concept is... We really deal with three different mediums when we, when we talk about information. One is email, which is a huge chunk these days. And then one are the electronic documents that we have on our um, network or local drives. And then uh, the paper documents that we may deal with. And the idea, what we, come, uh, what we do during this workshop is to make those three in sync and basically unify our structure. We call it we call it filing structure, but actually it's more like an information architecture. So we help users really look at their business drivers and come up with one structure and then implement it in these three mediums. And it creates a huge amount of efficiency once users get to that level. And it's not as difficult as it may sound. It's not, we have a step-by-step process to take users there. So tell people again how, kind of how you sign up. There, you, you have classes that are already prearranged and you go online and sign up. Or what, How do people engage? Uh-huh. We, the one, we have the virtual workshops, which are available for the public. And okay. these are on the website. Um, so you go to the website and you click on virtual live workshops, and we have a bunch of sessions coming this um, this fall, and mainly to get people ready for ending the year on a good note, uh, feeling a little bit more in control, knowing the end of the year is usually hectic. This and is then, a good Christmas present. And then we have also um, the self-paced, which sometimes individuals are or companies and employees are really busy to uh, to be able to schedule a session at a certain time. So the self-paced take you through the same exact processes and with very interacting um, demonstrations of everything we cover in the actual workshops, but at your own pace. And that's also something that users can sign um, up to on the website. And we do all this also for companies on site. So so many cases, what we what happens is managers and executives, they take our virtual workshops or our self-paced, and then they end up bringing it to their team. So we also, that's another avenue for, for companies who want to do it. And finally, which what, uh, Susan, you talked about earlier, we do have the one-on-one and the team sessions, which we conduct remotely. So the trainer would be, um, you and the trainer would be logging on, and uh, they can see your computer, they can take control, and vice versa, and then walk you through the, the principles. Usually users do this after they've been through the workshop, so they understand the concepts, and now they need to really get things implemented. Well, for the ad tech crowd, we, we all have attention deficit disorder, too much email, and uh, more money than time. I, how much are the virtual workshops where you take over our computer and do it for us? What's that cost? I forget. Yeah. Well, the virtual workshops right now in the fall, they're, they're really priced um, very, very uh, reasonably. They're $45 per 90-minute session. Oh, gosh. That's yeah. so it's, it's extremely, extremely um, well-priced for, for the for any professional. And then the sessions, the actual one-on-one sessions, they vary between 75 to um, 175, ranging from 30 minutes to 90 minutes. So they're, they're priced for um, everyone to be able to take advantage from them. But most companies would reimburse employees for something like this because it affects their productivity immediately. 
Oh, yeah. It's an expense report item, definitely. Right. A life-changing expense report item. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like your shill, Pierre, don't I? I, sound, I, I? A note to the Ad Tech Connect community, I'm not on Pierre's payroll. <laughs> well, we have about a minute left, Pierre, and uh-huh. I would love for you to leave the audience with three simple things that we could do today to make our, you know, to, to, to kill the silent killer and make uh-huh. our productivity better. Can you give us some for sure. freebie tips? Sure. <laughs> I think I would go with number one, and that's relating to interruptions, and that is turn the beep off. Don't let email drive your day. I would turn that notification off. And then if you have something really important that you want to know about, like the boss's message, I would create a rule that would play a sound when the boss's message arrives or something like this. Oh, right. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I mean, interruptions is the number one, I think, killer of productivity. They say it takes the brain 20 minutes or up to 20 minutes to recover from an interruption. And that's without a martini the night before. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine how long it takes for most of us. (laughs) Yeah, that can multiply by two or three. And um, number two, as another another, uh, helpful tip, is uh, relating to organizing email. I would recommend everyone creates an archive folder and use what we call the 80-20 rule. Our version of the 80-20 rule is that 80% of email has little impact on future results, and it's only the 20% that matters. And when you're done with an email, ask the question, is this part of my 80%? Mm-hmm. And if so, there's no need to spend time filing it and, and handling it. Just drag it to that archive folder. So that, I mean, organizing email can take a lot of time, and the alternative is leaving it all in the inbox. But those 80%, we don't need to spend the time. We, don't, we shouldn't leave them in the inbox. Just drag them to the archive folder. So that and would be number two. One? <laughs> and number three, I'll give you a choice, uh, Susan. Should I give an easy one or should I go for a challenging one? Give an easy one because we're almost out of time, Pierre. Okay, okay. So that last one is if you're using Outlook, you can drag an email from the inbox to your drop it on your calendar, and that opens up a little appointment and copies the information in it. So it makes it really easy to schedule important events or deadlines or tasks. I and love that, that one. And with that, I'll, I'll end this last one. Well, you've whet our appetite, and I really appreciate you coming on. You are a lifesaver, and I hope that everyone who comes to the show attends one of your two probably very packed sessions. Thank and, you. And uh, we'd love to have you on again, too. All right. Thanks, and I'm looking forward to the sessions. Thanks, Pierre. Have a great day, and yes. thanks to all the listeners of Ad Tech Connect. We'll see you next week. Do you have a big butt? Oh my God, Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. Are you in booty overload? I mean, her butt. It's just so big. Then laugh your ass off every day as Webmaster Radio presents Lunchtime Laughs. Favorite comics right here every day. One o'clock Eastern time, and you can only hear it, well, you know where. WebmasterRadio.fm